Let's just kick off this morning by grabbing our Bibles and let's say our Bible decree together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. We can come to church. We can sing the songs. But if we don't hide his words in our heart, then how can we make it? I'm kicking off this series. I know we just finished up this, this series of um, being bullied. You know, as I kick this off, you know, dare to be different. And realizing that uh, being different means that we have to step out of, you know, our comfort zone. When you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. And, you know, I, I want you to say that you are highly favored in God and he loves you. Chris, I have to say, I love that shirt. His shirt says, love yourself. I love that. What a great reminder of if God created us, he loves us. Kids, you are dismissed. You can head back uh, with Miss Leslie. I think she's going to be planning some things. Kick off vacation Bible school, and and, uh, it's exciting. The waiting room. I'd like to compliment our assistant pastor's wife, Allie. I love to see her creativity, and I always give her my title message, and in that title message, I always say, add a picture. What a perfect picture for today's message. Remember when you were a little kid, and you would go to the doctor, and you go to the dentist, and the first thing they would say to you is, okay, here's the paperwork. Have mommy and daddy fill it out. You sat in that stinking waiting room, a nervous wreck. I hate that. Just waiting, and waiting, and waiting. And waiting. Then you enter school and you start trying out for sports. And it doesn't matter if you're trying out for baseball, basketball, soccer, football, cheerleading, volleyball, whatever it is. Next thing they say to you is, come try out. Go take a seat. Really? Can't they just look at us instead of deliberating over everything and just say, you've got what it takes. But that's not always the case. waiting. (laughs) We're back in business. So anyhow, you know, so what, what ends up taking place is, you know, we have to wait. So you wait and you wait. That is the worst feeling. Just waiting. And uh, you go to a restaurant. What do they make you do? You order your food and you wait and you wait and you wait. And then the sad part of it is, Exactly. And then the worst part of it all, after it's cold because you've waited, you've waited, you've waited, and you've waited, 
you have to pay for it and you have to leave a tip. I've had it. You know, that's what happens. And so as we start to grow in our life, we realize that um, we wait. So, so the question is, how many people in this room like waiting? Nobody. If we were to poll everybody today, I'm sure we would all have a waiting room story to tell. Mine happened with overcrowded waiting rooms, waiting for over an hour and a half, watching others leave upset. Two minutes with the doctor. Let's be honest today. We hate to wait to the point that quality of service is not as important as speed of service, right? In hindsight, this story was probably not as dramatic as I tell it. And I know that so many of us, we laugh over this whole thing, but it goes far as to say in the grand scope of my life, waiting, it wasn't really that big of a deal at all. Yes, it was an incredible inconvenience to my day, but in a week's time, I had already moved on to another incredible inconvenience in my life, another waiting room. That's how that works. Remember going to the principal's office? And he would tell you, sit outside. And you waited, and you waited, and you waited. I put that in correlation with when you're a little boy or girl, and mom and dad says, get to your room. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait some more. Today, because we're on this series of The Waiting Room, What does God reveal to us in the moments of waiting? From time to time, we all find ourselves in a very different kind of waiting room. The holding pattern is is unlike any other I will experience because it is not necessarily physical and the wait time truly indefinite. What I'm talking about is God's waiting room. In this text in Romans chapter 8 verses 28, I want you, if you would, please turn in your Bible Romans 8:28. We hear this, we use it. It's something that we speak about all the time. I don't care what's going wrong in your life. Everybody always uses this famous verse right along with John 3:16. Romans 8:28. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. To his plan God's waiting room for some it is a season of transition it's a life-altering event or tragedy it's a wake-up call to life change it's a season of rest it's a time of refinement no matter what brought you to this moment in God's waiting room no one thing is certain in all situations it's for a purpose we heard what it said And we know all things. God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You see, the common misconception of this verse is that God is working for my benefit, so life should be peaches. What this verse is really saying is God is using all things, whether we perceive it to be good or bad, for his ultimate glory. All things. Wrap your mind around that thought for just a second. And I hope as you do this, that this could give you some hope. It means that no matter where I think I should be, whatever job I think I should have, 
Whatever relationship I think I should be in, whatever goal or mark I expect to hit in life, whatever way I have fallen short, whatever tragedy or injustice that has entered into my life, whatever material good I think I should possess, but don't. All of it. I have or have not because God is working through me for his good. Take that and put it in your Bible. If you have your iPad, your iPhone, whatever, you can highlight it. Turn, write down all things. Now, God's room, his waiting room, is a tough place to be. It can be lonely and sometimes confusing and altogether heartbreaking space. But even in this, God is still God. He can see what I can't and his purpose and all he carries me through. God will use this for his good purpose. Throughout this journey of being a pastor, I never realized just the importance of just waiting. You know, there was the children of Israel and, you know, they were in a crossroad. The problem is they never looked back. They should have went back to and remember what it was like to be imprisoned. But they didn't. And so they, the, the, the prophet is speaking to them and he says in Isaiah, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hardest part for all of us is just being in that moment of prayer and wanting something so bad right now. So we wait. But after the waiting period, there is a recovery period. There is an answer to that time when, when nothing seems to be going right in your life. Then you say, God, where are you? One of the first things that I hear from so many people when they lose a loved one. I want to shake my fist to God. I'm so upset. I'm angry. Why would God take my loved one at such a young age? But when people finally get that out of their system and they get past the grief and the mourning, they look at that time of waiting to say, wow, I saw God like I've never seen him before. So church, the question is this. How many of you just want to take matters in your own hand or you want to be part of hanging out in the waiting room? Are you with me? I want to be in the waiting room. I want to see the hand of God. I want to see miracles take place. I want to rise up with strength in a time when I'm weak. You see, in our flesh and in our life, we have a tendency to not want to be in that place where God is moving us. When you're dealing with addictions, you're in that place. You cry out to God and ask God, God, why haven't you helped me? But sometimes it's during that transition that God is showing you and he's developing character in your life. To make you a better individual. And that's what it's about. So it's during that time of waiting that we start to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I know in my own life, I, I've, you know, some of the trauma that has, has taken place even in my own life. Once I start to see God work things out, and sometimes you don't see it. You have to be mature in Christ and to realize you have to look back and see what God has done and recognize the favor that's on your life. It's very difficult for a brand new Christian to come to a place to say, I don't like the waiting room. I'm not feeling. I want to see, touch. I want it to be tangible. And I just don't feel the presence of God. I don't sense his spirit. 
Oh, but this is just the beginning. Oh, and you will. And that's when it takes the elders, those that are mature in Christ, to stop and say, as the Bible says, the older shall teach the younger. Oh, listen, let me show you some things. Let me reveal some things to you. This is how good our God is. This is how faithful he is. So we realize it's in that time of waiting that we have to give God all authority. From the outset, I want to state the obvious that I believe most believers selectively forget. God's waiting room is a necessity for spiritual growth. We must go through it. That's the hard part. That's been the hard part for me. I'm a guy who, you know, even my pastor who I served under for 12 years, he said to me, he goes, if there's any advice that I could give you, keep the cleaning company. I said, I'll keep the cleaning company as long as I can keep healthy and keep doing what I'm doing. He said, try to do both. And it's been great. But I realized that there's been spiritual growth through that. And we all go through that. And we've seen the different dynamic play out. This is what it says in James. You can follow with me if you want. James chapter 1. If you want to follow in your Bible with me, that's fine. In James chapter 1. But when you're in that waiting room, and, and I call it sometimes the holding tank. When you're in that holding tank, that waiting room, that's when your faith starts to increase. But who has the authority over your faith? So that's point number two, the authority of faith, if you're taking notes. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance... Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, we need these down times in life in order to be made stronger. It is unavoidable. We are partakers in life and it's not always a pretty or easy thing, is it? So the trick is not to avoid, do our best to avoid these moments of waiting in life, but to seek how God is using these things for Good. Consider pure joy. Listen, what you've gone through is traumatic. Faith went through cancer. It was traumatic. I remember the phone call from my mom when she was diagnosed with cancer. It's traumatic. But now that you can look back, you know it was during that time in the waiting room that you started to see the hand of God. God starts to work things out for your good. It's because we are saying, God, here it is. It's all yours. That's the hard part about faith. So when I started the church, and it's great to have Amber with us. It's Russ's daughter-in-law. Chris was my first assistant pastor we ever had here. was one of my youth when I was a youth pastor. And so... When we look back and you start the church and you have all these aspirations and goals. And I used to say, oh, I want this and God, give me my desire. And, you know, I, I want to have a gym and I want to have property. And I want, Becky used to say, Todd, you use the word campus all the time. Well, because I wanted a church campus. I want some grass. God blessed us with a beautiful, beautiful church. Even Riverside Drive was beautiful. Even the Court Cultural Center was beautiful. The YMCA was beautiful. And I want to thank Leslie Young's because her deck was beautiful. Everything's just been beautiful. But it's during those times I didn't want to stay on the deck. 
And I didn't want to have to carry tarps across the gymnasium floor every Sunday in a suit. You know, 14 years ago, it was very important that a pastor wear a suit every Sunday. If you didn't wear a suit, you didn't look like a pastor. So I'd have to take my jacket off. Sometimes I was like, I was dying. You know, we're setting up all these chairs. And it was exciting. Then we went to the Court Cultural Center and we saw all this take place. But all along I kept saying, God, find me in your favor. God, find me in your favor. God, find me in your favor. You see, what we had to go through to get to Riverside Drive was part of God's plan. So we as a body, God wants to mature us. Now, if you'll notice in that text that I just read, he said, count it all joy. But he said, you have to persevere. You have to push through it, go through it in order to achieve it and mature in it. So, yes, it's almost like looking at grandpa and grandma going over and sitting down with them and having the privilege and honor to sit with them and go, tell me about what you've gone through. The journey that you've experienced. So we're at the church and I kept saying along, oh, I want to put a big foyer out there. I want this big, huge foyer. And I, this foyer is going to just be amazing. People can just fellowship. And we went to the city and they said no. I was upset. Just letting you know. You know where I was at? I was in the waiting room. God was saying, wait a minute, hold up, hold on, you've got some good things coming. But I had to stop and realize who and where is my faith, who has the authority of all faith. And so God said, listen, I can give you a bigger foyer, I can give you a bigger property, I can honor and give you the desires of your heart if you'll just wait. But you see, Todd, my son... You're not ready and your congregation isn't ready to take on a property that size. And so I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and I got up from the the red chair in the waiting room and I started pacing and I was pacing some more and kept pacing some more. I felt like I had been pacing for years. Oh, because I had. But then God all of a sudden... And his love, his mercy, his grace says, oh, but there's a place that still needs to be full of great people. And guess what? Thanks for waiting. Pastor Todd Tackett and New Hope Christian Fellowship, could you please come back? The great physician would like to see you. And right then we all walk out going, "Woo! glory, look what he's doing. That was rough waiting and it was a little bit nerve-wracking, but we made it. See, that's how God works. I love that it says here, faith develops perseverance. So in my Christian life, I know that my faith has been increased because I have had to have the endurance to keep going on. So I sit on my porch. I come to this church. We sat out here underneath the, the carport. We came back here last night and... Sat out there, and Ron and Lucinda were here, Becky and I were here, and we all sat out there and just talked. I said, don't you just love this? Let's all be quiet. Let's just listen to the bugs <laughs> as they were singing. But it's nice just to stop and see that God is there to bless us. He wants us to increase in our faith. 
Matthew 8, we see a picture of Jesus, the action hero, healing folks with leprosy, calming a raging storm in the middle of a lake, and casting out demons. But the story that stood out was in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. You can follow along with me. Matthew 8, it's with the centurion. And Jesus and he, they're going back and forth, and it's because of his faith that they start to see a healing take place. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a a centurion, I'm in verse 5 of Matthew 8, the centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Now the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. This response truly amazes Jesus. Finally, someone gets it. Jesus goes as far as to say, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Sure, Jesus' disciples must have loved the proclamation. But truth be told, up to this point, faith in Jesus was easy. You see, Jesus was present. He was in the flesh and blood standing right there in their midst. How tough could it really have been to have faith in someone that was always around? And in that moment, a trendy celebrity and popular guy to follow. Notice this, in his statement... Of real faith. The Roman officer basically affirms his belief in Jesus' authority over all things. In essence, my God is so big and so powerful that I don't even need to be in the same area code for him to work in miracles in my life. He simply has it all under control. All I need to do is call out to my God for help. That's where faith kicks in. He says, but do you understand my position? I've been puffed up with pride. He said, putting all of it aside, Jesus said, oh, I'm going to give you what you've asked because you have great faith. We live a life that says we walk in Christ. We're a Christian, but we lack in our faith. And when we forget this, we have a crisis of faith. Jesus loves it. He uses this moment to remind those in attendance that this type of faith of Jesus as Lord is over all in life is what's going to separate the true disciples from the rest in the end. Because of the officer's faith in Jesus' authority, the great healer merely speaks a word and the servant is healed. I've read this passage several times before, but this time it it became personal to me. I can claim that God has authority over all things. Remember? All things. And we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. But my actions can show something very different. I would call it my own personal crisis of faith. The crisis comes when a moment's notice. I forget who has the final authority. Things like this, an earth-shattering moment in my life, and then I start to lose faith. Unexpected, unplanned change. Or maybe it's when we think we can control a situation. In my opinion, recognizing the true authority of God is one of the toughest aspects of our faith. 
I may profess him as God over all things, but my actions may show that I have only given God partial authority. Let me, let me say this to you again. I may profess him as God over all things, but my actions may show that I have only given God partial authority. Write this down. My faith is a fraud. My faith is a fraud. Wow. Makes you think, doesn't it? What have I done? How have I, how have I really moved forward? So the third point is this. Remember your action hero. Remember your action hero. One principle I learned at an early age was God's faithfulness. I could be so wrapped up in present troubles that I would quickly forget the many troubles that God had already carried me through. And we all have a tendency to do that. If you look in Isaiah 40, we see an example of something similar. God's people had gotten so wrapped up in their present troubles that hope had truly been lost. That then the prophet addresses them with a timely promise from God. He says in Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 28. Oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh, Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Now, you know where we get the song, Isaiah 40. Look at the not so subtle reminder, folks. We've been through this before. It all turned out fine then. So why are we doubting him now? And the reason Israel lost hope was that it had placed all hope in what they could only see. That's what's so unfortunate. God's understanding is way beyond ours. God is everlasting, creator of the universe, and never-ending source of power. God is the authority. God has all final power. And in this church, when you realize that God has final authority, and I'm here to tell you that I was bullied. I was bullied by people that said, you would never move forward. You'll never make it. I was bullied in the first couple months. But church, I'm here to remind you that I sat in that waiting room and said, do whatever you want to do. I'm waiting to see the good doctor. He has final authority. Because my faith isn't a fraud. And I told my wife this morning, we were sitting on the deck, and I said, or on the porch, and I said, you know, that, that, that didn't come from me. I, w- I was reading an article, and when it came out, it said, the, is your faith a fraud? I thought to myself, wow. Hold on just a minute. How are you living your life? Do people really believe that you have faith in the everlasting God and that he has final authority over your life? That's profound. Or do we just, we just practice Christianity? This is a religious experience for us. Or is this a personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ so we see hope, healing, and help? Because we go to the one that offers that to us because we have a faith that believes in the one true living God who sent us on Jesus Christ to give us life. So church, I'm here to tell you this. I don't want just a church, 
yes, you've remodeled this building and it's been great. It's beautiful and we're going to be doing some great things here. But I just don't want a church building. I want a community of believers that believes that Jesus Christ is the only way. And that we only live by faith. Listen, this whole church experience for me over the last 14 years has been wow. Everything that has been done has been wow. So I know that I've had to live by faith because God knows I didn't have any earthly money or monetary value to do what needed to be done. But you see, my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He has mansions on a hilltop. His streets are lined with gold and his gates are pearl. You see, God can provide if we believe I want to have a church that's thriving because we're letting the community know that there is something that is real about the God we serve. So I'll say this. Let it go. Let it go. After reading the passage in Matthew, I see what the scripture has to say. He said this, let it go. I knew immediately what that meant. I had to not only drop all the strict strategizing I was doing to fix my situation, but I also had to stop worrying about it as well. Part one of that plan was relatively easy. Part two, the worry part, is something I still wrestle with daily. But if, I ever, but if I'm ever going to find peace in this period of waiting, then I have to learn to let it go and let God have full authority. Psalms 55 says, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. The literal, the literal, sometimes it's difficult when you're up here. I'm getting it out, literal. Translation is to her fling away. Drop it like it's hot. (laughs) Get rid of your burdens. I believe God gives us responsibility in life, but there's only one so much that we can do. Sometimes our waiting room is meant to teach us placement. Sometimes our waiting room is meant to teach us placement. What authority have we placed our faith in? What authority have we placed our faith in, God's or ours? Wow. So let it go. Number two, see the blessings. Psalm 65, 4 through 5 says, How blessed is the one whom you choose and bring near to you to dwell in your courts. We will be satisfied with goodness of your house, your holy temple. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest sea. I can gain instant perspective on my current waiting room when I do one thing. Remember how God has already blessed me. How God got me through my last crisis of faith. Everyone has a testimony. Everyone has a testimony. Overcoming addictions, healing, repurposing God's faithfulness, God's blessings. We all have a testimony. But where have you placed your faith? When you let it go, you see the blessings. So I say this, my last point will be closing. Acknowledge God's authority. Our time in God's waiting room is on purpose. 
but it won't be to our benefit until we acknowledge who is running things. During my ordination, one of the pastors says, if you know Pastor Todd, you will know he does something all the time. This isn't just the Jesus finger to go, shh, be quiet. I pour in heaven. I'm always doing this. Because we need to point Jesus. We need to point people to Jesus. We need to let the world know it's because of Jesus we have life. Psalm 62 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. And in closing, you can say, even in this, you are still God. There's something re-energizing about handling authority over to God. It's odd to think that we will feel more and more empowered by letting go of more in our lives. But it's true. Faith isn't easy, church. Faith isn't easy. Remember, God is using all things for our good and His glory. Even when it seems like nothing is being done at all. He uses all things. And now, here's how I want you to look at that, that text now. And I'm going to ask you a question. We're going to close. I know my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. All For we know all things work together for good to him that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. All things. How many of you know somebody right now that's going through a hard time? Just think about this. Financially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, maybe physically, whatever they're going through. This week I want you to tell them Listen, you don't want to hear this, but I want to share something with you. My faith is for real. And I want you to think about a story or a time in your life where you saw God real. And you'll be able to say to someone, listen to what God is doing. You hear me say this all the time. Here's my God story. And if you don't have a God story, then start today living by faith. And then start sharing that story with somebody and they'll believe in the same God that you believe in and things will start to take place because He wants the glory. Because He has all authority. That's our God who reigns supreme over all the earth. So I ask you this question. Have you given God absolute authority over all things? Most things are just some things in your life. Be honest with yourself. If you answered anything other than that, all things, what would you change? What would you change? What areas could use more of God's authority in your life? Number two, write a list of the ways you have personally seen God at work in your life. Take time and think of them all then hang this list someplace you can easily see it when life happens. And you need a reminder of God's faithfulness. I have the great privilege and honor to stand up here and to say that yes, my faith has been challenged. 
And there have been times in my life that I have found myself falling short. And I started to worry and I started to take matters into my own hands. But you see, church, when we take matters in our own hands and we don't let go and let God, then where's the praise lifted up? He wants open hands, open hearts, open minds. Let go and let God. So people say, yes, that individual has a faith that is unwavering. I will tell you, in America today, how my heart aches as I think of the churches that are closing their doors. Because we've lost our faith and our trust in God. Church, I want to encourage you to let go. Let God stand up, stand out, and let people know just how good God is. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. So hang out in the waiting room. If you'll wait long enough, you'll start to see just what he'll do for you. Malachi chapter 3 says he opens up the windows of heaven. He will pour out blessings into your life. There won't, there won't be room for you. Enough room is what it says. Enough room for you to receive it. That's all rise to our feet. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you could say this is my prayer of rededication. This is, this is how I need to pray. I need to rethink some things in my own life. Let's pray this together. Think about it as I pray it. Heavenly Father, I confess to you now that I have fallen short. God, I admit that I am flawed and in need of salvation. Lord, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me and raised him to life so that I would be washed clean of my sin. Lord, I give you my heart, my mind, and my soul. Take my life and lead me. Reveal to me your purpose and restore the hope that can only come from your salvation. Now add this to your prayer. Lord, I relinquish all authority over to you. I want to know the peace that comes in surrendering to you. You know me intimately. You know what troubles I face. For you are God. Even in all of this. Give me the strength to wait on you. Give me the strength to wait on you. And the wisdom to know when to move when you lead. Father God, help the world to see that my faith is not a fraud. In your son Jesus' name, amen.